Well, have you ever participated in the team building exercise called the trust fall? It's when you stand straight, arms on your chest or to your side, head straight, and there's someone behind you about arm's length, and you're supposed to lean completely back, fall right into their arms. This is an exercise that's commonly used in corporate training sessions to help build familiarity and trust among employees that may not know each other very well in order to help them work together more efficiently. And coaches, sports teams, will often use this exercise to build trust among teammates. Well, in the trust fall, you reach a point where you're totally committed to the ability and the position of that person to catch you. You're placing your trust, your confidence that they're going to act on your behalf to keep you from falling and slamming your body against the floor. If you've ever participated in that trust fall, what generally happens just right before you commit? For some of you that doubt, you whip your head around to see, are they really there, right? You check to see, are their arms really out there to catch me? Well, what's going through your mind right then? It's doubt, right? You don't trust that person. Your mind starts to race with thoughts of, oh, what if they don't catch me? What if they're not able to catch me? I don't know who this person is. That wave of anxiety comes over you. And it makes you want to look and make sure. Will they do what they said they're going to do? Are they actually going to do it? Now, if it's a trusted friend, you're a little bit less likely to be tempted to turn around and look. Unless, of course, your friend is a jokester and think it would be funny to let you just fall. But with a friend, you know they're going to catch you. Because they've proven themselves sometime in the past to be trustworthy. If, it, if it's somebody that you barely know, the temptation to look and make sure is much stronger. Because you simply don't know by experience whether they're trustworthy. Their words have never been proven to you by their actions. The trust fall exercise reveals, it proves a person to be trustworthy. Well, when is this trust most tested? It's when there's pressure, right? For a coach or an employer, they know when the game is on the line or the pressure is on to make a deadline. People that trust each other in those stressful situations gain strength from one another to persevere through any difficulty. That's why it's valuable, valuable to build this trust before the pressure comes. In the trust fall exercise, we're in a controlled environment. It's our decision to trust whether they're going to catch us. But what happens in life when we don't get to decide? What happens when the external forces and circumstances 
interrupt what we would call the normal pattern of our lives. And we're forced to test what we believe and in whom we believe. What do you believe when trouble comes into your life? More importantly, in whom do you trust when trouble comes into your life? Is it God? Is it your spouse? Is it a close friend? Is it your own abilities? As Christians, our answer to whom we trust should be the Lord. Well, let's look now to God's word for instruction in how to trust the Lord when trouble does come. Turn with me in your Bibles to Psalm 3. If you're using the Bibles provided in the seatbacks, you'll find Psalm 3 on page 255. Beginning with the title, A Psalm of David When He Fled from Absalom His Son. O Lord, how many are my foes! Many are rising against me. Many are saying of my soul, There is no salvation for him in God. Selah. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Selah. I lay down and slept. I woke again, for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. Selah. This is God's Word. If you're taking notes today, I have four main points to help us understand the Lord's instruction to us through this song. Point number one. Trouble comes into the lives of Christians. Trouble comes into the lives of Christians. That's verses 1 and 2. Point number two, the Lord is our only certain protection in times of trouble. The Lord is our only certain protection in times of trouble. That's verses three and four. Point number three, the Lord provides peace in the midst of trouble. The Lord provides peace in the midst of trouble. That's verses 5 and 6. And point number 4. The Lord is our certain salvation from all trouble. The Lord 
is our certain salvation from all trouble. That's verses 7 and 8. Well, this psalm is the first in the book of Psalms that the title provides the historical context for when and why it was written. We see in the title that the author is King David and that he wrote this upon the crisis of fleeing for his life from his son Absalom. Now, it's not the normal pattern of life for a father to be fleeing from his son, is it? So, what, so what's going on here? Well, we find the account of David fleeing from his son Absalom in 2 Samuel chapters 15 through 18. Now, obviously, we're not going to have time to read all that passage today, so let me give you a brief summary of what's going on between Absalom and David. Their relationship had been strained for many years before this outright rebellion. Backing up a little bit into 2 Samuel chapter 13, we read that Absalom had arranged and ordered the murder of his brother Amnon in vengeance for his sinful actions against their sister Tamar. Absalom then fled for refuge in the city of Geshur and remained there for three years. Now David had real turmoil in his heart as he longed to restore his relationship with Absalom. David really shows the love of a father because he desires reconciliation. And frankly, Absalom was a very bad young man with wicked intentions in his heart. So Joab, one of David's most trusted servants and commander of his armies, seeing how great a burden this was on David, he devised a plan to convince King, King David to call for Absalom to return to, to Jerusalem. However, upon his return, Absalom was not permitted to come before the king for another two years. But finally, this reconciliation did come, as we read in 2 Samuel 14. Then Joab went to the king and told him, and he summoned Absalom. So he came to the king and bowed himself on his face to the ground before the king, and the king kissed Absalom. And this was a sign of his forgiveness and acceptance. But even though David extended this forgiveness, deception abounded in Absalom's wicked heart. We find in 2 Samuel 15 that Absalom devised a way to gain favor among the members of all the tribes of Israel. He positioned himself at the city gate where it was common practice for disputes and legal matters to be settled. He convinced people that there was no one in the king's court to hear their matter. So he would hear it and give judgment for them. In verse 6 it says, Thus Absalom did to all of Israel who came to the king for judgment. So Absalom stole the hearts of the men of Israel. Well, after four years of building a network of people loyal to him, Absalom made his move to overthrow his own father as king. We read in verses 13 and 14, And a messenger came to David, saying, The hearts of the men of Israel have gone after Absalom. Then David said to all his servants who were with him at Jerusalem, Arise and let us flee, or else there will be no escape for us from Absalom. Go quickly, lest he overtake us, 
and bring down ruin on us and strike the city with the edge of the sword. And so David and all those that were loyal to him fled Jerusalem. And verse 30 depicts the deep emotion of this scene. It says, But David went up the ascent of the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went, barefoot and with his head covered. And all the people who were with him covered their heads, and they went up, weeping as they went. It's an overwhelming emotional scene. And it's in this flood of emotion that David cries out to the Lord and declares his dire situation. And he says, Many, O Lord, are my foes. Many are rising against me. And David's life was in real physical danger. Can you imagine what sadness and feelings of despair must have been filling David's heart and mind? as he considered what was taking place. His very own son was leading the people of Israel and even some of his trusted counselors away from him. Not only was loyalty to him shrinking, but opposition was rising. His enemies were gaining strength. And he's questioning, who can he trust? Fear is creeping in with the thought that all may desert him. But as distressing as this may have been, it's going to get worse. Look at verse 2. Many are saying of my soul, there is no salvation for him in God. Now why would they be saying this? In 2 Samuel 16, it says that as David and those with him passed by, his enemies were shouting curses at him, saying, See, your evil is on you, for you are a man of blood. Well, they were bringing to David's mind his past sins. And they were making the accusation that because of those sins, God would no longer be with him. You see, David could draw on his vast military experience to formulate a plan to escape an enemy. He had that knowledge. He had done that many times. He could command his troops and mount an attack against his enemies. But the dagger to his heart was to think that God was not with him. Friends, one of the weapons of Satan against the children of God is to cast doubt about the things that God has said. It started all the way back in the garden with Eve when the serpent said, Did God really say that? And he still does it today. Perhaps you've had this thought. Can God really forgive me for what I've done? Christian, you must rest in the sure forgiveness that has been purchased by the blood of Christ. And upon that confession of your sins, trust that He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sins and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does He remove our transgressions from us. Our sins are no longer held against us. And we must refute our enemy with that truth. 
Well, David had faced enemies many times on the battlefield. And he faced them with courage because he knew the Lord was with him. But now he's facing not only an enemy outside, but twin enemies within. Doubt and fear. Those doubts that God's favor and protection on his life would be withdrawn because of his past sins. Fear that all hope is lost and there's no one to help. Our hearts faint in the midst of trouble when we doubt and become fearful that God will not help us. C.H. Spurgeon said this, It is the most bitter of all afflictions to be led to fear that there is no help for us in God. Friends, how do you assess trouble when it comes? Do you just pull yourself up by the bootstraps? Try to get through it? That's called self-reliance. And for the Christian, that is sin. Because the scripture says in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your way, acknowledge Him, and He'll direct your paths. Lean not on your own understanding. It sounds a bit like that trust fall, doesn't it? What are you leaning on? Is it what you can control? You know, it's a temptation in times of trouble to fall back on what we can do ourselves. But as Christians... We're to trust in the Lord and lean on Him only at all times and especially in times of trouble. But what happens when that trouble is intense? It's just overwhelming. When things really seem out of your control. Do you cry out to God to deliver you but then struggle to believe that He really will? Do you listen only to the shouts of your enemy? Satan and his demons about your past sins that make you doubt God's deliverance. Have troubles increased to a point where you fear that God doesn't even care about your suffering? Friends, it is in these moments that we must fight for faith. Trouble and suffering in this life is a fight for faith. If you've attended any of the Wednesday night equipping classes these last couple of months, you've heard that phrase many times. Suffering in this life is a fight for faith. It isn't a fight for the trouble to be resolved. It is a fight for faith that no matter the trouble, God will deliver his children. I want to say that again. It is not a fight for the trouble to be resolved. It is a fight for faith that no matter the trouble, God will deliver his children. David was at that crossroads of faith and unbelief. Recall from last week the message Pastor Blake preached from Mark chapter 9. When the father cried out, I believe 
but help my unbelief. Well, King David faces the same situation, different circumstances, but in the same position of faith or unbelief. He's got to answer the same question anyone facing trouble must ask. Who's going to help me? Who can deliver me from this? Christian, in the midst of trouble, who is the only one that you can be certain can protect you when the storms of life are raging? This brings us to point number two. The Lord is our only certain protection in times of trouble. Look again with me in verses 3 and 4. But you, O Lord, are a shield about me, my glory and the lifter of my head. I cried aloud to the Lord, and he answered me from his holy hill. Now, how did David get from the anguish of fearing that God would not help him to this bold confidence that God would protect him and restore him, like we see in verse 3? Well, first, he turns his eyes from his increasing enemies to his faithful God. He stops staring at the trouble in front of him and he focuses on the Lord. He stops listening to the insults of the enemy. He turns a deaf ear to the shouts of those against him saying that God will not help him. Friends, we can expect God to lift us up even if we don't see it right now. And next, he draws on strength from remembering that God's deliverance of him in the past. It brings hope that God will deliver again. The Lord has proven to be trustworthy. He remembers desperate situations just like this one, in which there seemed no way of escape. But the Lord shielded him from the enemy and gave him victory over his enemies. His glorious king of Israel was upheld. And in remembering this, David knows his only hope now, just like in the past, is the Lord. The basis of such confidence in God's deliverance is his divine attribute of faithfulness. God's heard my cry in the past and he will hear me again. Because he is faithful. In his book, The Attributes of God, A.W. Pink describes the faithfulness of God this way. This quality is essential to his being. Without it, he would not be God. For God to be unfaithful would be to act contrary to his nature, which were impossible. And he cites 2 Timothy 2.13. If we are faithless, he remains faithful, for he cannot deny himself. Friends, when we're in the midst of the storms of life, when we're just getting battered by it, we need refuge and protection. We need a shield all around us. God himself is that shield, and he has declared this through his word. 
Listen to Proverbs 30, verse 5. Every word of God proves true. He is a shield to those who take refuge in Him. What we remember of God's promises in times of trouble can lift our spiritual eyes to see truth. And this is how we help each other in the fight for faith, by reminding each other of God's promises. Share the Word of God with one another. Verses like Isaiah 41.10, Fear not, for I am with you. Be not dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. So the proper response for the Christian in times of trouble is to cry out to our faithful God for help. Verse 4, I cried aloud to the Lord and He answered me from His holy hill. This imagery of the holy hill is one of stability, immovable, unshakable. It's a reference point that's always there. We see it throughout the Old Testament. Moses on Mount Sinai. Elijah on top of Mount Carmel calling down fire on the altar. Psalm 122 verses 1 and 2 says, I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. As followers of Christ, the hill that we look to is the one on which our Lord was crucified. For it is what took place on that holy hill that enables us to come to God. David prays with confidence that the Lord hears him. And we too should cry out to the Lord in prayer with confidence that he hears us. Hebrews 4, 15 and 16 says, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. Oh, members of CBC, pray that we would become an army of faith fighters for one another. Pray that we would become an army of faith fighters for one another. Pray that our first thought, when we hear of a brother or sister in the midst of suffering and trouble, would be to encourage their faith. They need encouragement in faith more than anything else we can provide. Friends, if you're in a place of peace and blessing in your life today, first, give thanks to the Lord for it. It's a blessing and gift from Him. But secondly, be willing to help others that are suffering in this life. Let me give you four ways that you can encourage someone in their faith. First, encourage them with the Word of God. Remind them of the promises of God. Secondly, encourage them by praying with and for them. Pray with and for them. 
Encouraged by hospitality, open yourself to them. Meet practical and physical needs. And fourth, encouraged by the ministry of presence. Suffering and trouble in this life can be lonely. And sometimes what we need to know most is that other Christians care. And there may be no words to ease the suffering. But just being there helps far more than words. To those who today, right now, are in the midst of suffering, I want to urge you to be willing to share your struggles with your brothers and sisters in Christ. Share with your elders. We want to help you. Share with other mature believers. They want to help you. But no one can help if we don't know about your suffering. Be transparent and let the body of believers help you in this fight for faith. But when we cry out to the Lord in faith, look at the incredible result. This leads us to point number three. The Lord provides peace in the midst of trouble. Look again with me at verses 5 and 6. I lay down and slept. I woke again for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. He lay down and slept? Are you kidding me? <laughs> How can that be? I mean, David literally has an army arrayed against him. And he's the primary target. Can't you just hear those that are with him, that are supposed to take care of him, begging him to seek cover? To hide in a safe place. Come with us, king. Let us hide you so we, you can keep you safe. And his answer is no. <laughs> I'll sleep right here, out in the open with my people. And I'll do it because the Lord is my shield. David's confidence in the protection and faithfulness of the Lord resulted in peace that enabled him to sleep, literally, even with the enemy's army assembling all around. This is an incredible provision of God. Not only did David have peace to sleep, but he awakes in the morning because the Lord protected him. This tangible evidence of God's protection enables him to boast of courage, even when surrounded by his enemies. Just as faith that brings salvation is a gift from God, so too faith in the face of trouble is a provision from God. 2 Timothy 1.7 says, For God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Have you ever prayed for the Lord to help you in times of trouble? Just like in verses 3 and 4. But you still couldn't sleep at night. You might say, well, I prayed to the Lord about it. But I tossed and turned all night. I couldn't stop thinking about my troubles. Well, was that really a prayer of faith? 
Or is it more like a complaint or a grumbling to the Lord? Why did David receive such peace that he could actually lay down and sleep? Well, there is a posture of our heart in approaching the Lord that we need to pay careful attention to. We must not approach the Lord in a presumptuous manner, demanding of God what we want, presuming that because He is certainly able, that He must do it for us. This is an easy temptation to fall into, especially when we're in a desperate situation. But it is an arrogant posture before the Lord. The right heart posture is to come before the Lord in humility. But in confidence, God is able and willing to do what is best for His children in any circumstance. Look to the example of Christ in the garden on the night of his betrayal. Listen to this from Luke 22. Jesus prayed, Father, if you are willing, remove this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. It's hard for us to pray that, isn't it? Not my will, Lord, but yours be done. Especially when we're suffering. I remember a time in my life when I was facing a desperate situation. And some brothers and sisters had come to pray with me and my wife for our son that was critically ill. And one of those sisters prayed earnestly for his healing, but then finished that prayer with, Nevertheless, Lord, your will be done. And I remember saying in my heart, No, Lord, my will be done. I don't have room for anything else. I didn't realize until she prayed that how much I was wrestling with submitting to the will of sovereign God. When we stop that wrestling and we truly trust the Lord, His perfect peace comes. A peace that is so powerful we can lay down and sleep even in the midst of that trouble. What about you today? In the trouble that you are facing, are you wrestling to put your full faith and trust in a sovereign God? He decides what is best, not us. Consider the instruction of Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your heart and mind in Christ Jesus. So can you come before the Lord in a complaining and grumbling attitude, and even a demanding attitude, and with thanksgiving? Well, no. Those attitudes don't mix. Giving thanks puts us in a posture of humility and it pushes out that arrogance. And what does the Lord do? He gives to you a peace that is beyond all human comprehension. It makes no sense. Be encouraged by the words of Jesus that he spoke to his disciples the night of his betrayal. 
I have said these things to you that in me you may have peace. In the world you will have tribulation, but take heart, I have overcome the world. How powerful then is the effect of this supernatural peace? Well, for David, this peace in his soul leads to strength in his soul that manifests in courage before his enemies. David declares, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around. That's literally what was happening. But he declares boldly that he has no fear of them because he has complete faith that the Lord is with him. Listen to how he expresses the strength of the Lord in Psalm 138, verse 3. On the day I called, you answered me. You made me bold in my soul with strength. When you hear a verse like that, do you think, well, that's only for David. That only applies to a character in the Bible. That kind of strength could not be for me. But friend, this very same strength is for you if you are in Christ Jesus. Take hold of this truth that you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. And according to Ephesians chapter 1, that because your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, we have the immeasurable greatness of his power. The very same power that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, that very same power is in every true follower of Christ. When we fully trust the Lord and his perfect peace guards our hearts and minds, then our lives become a display to those around us of the power of God. And that brings him glory. It is one of the sovereign purposes for the Christian in enduring suffering. Psalm 50:15 says, and call upon me in the day of trouble. I will deliver you and you shall glorify me. So we're seeing from God's word today in Psalm 3 that trouble does come into the lives of Christians. We're seeing that only the Lord is our certain protector in the midst of trouble. We're seeing that only the Lord can provide peace in the midst of trouble. And that brings us to our fourth point. The Lord is our certain salvation from all trouble. Look again at verses 7 and 8. Arise, O Lord, save me, O my God. For you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. When David says, Arise, O Lord, he employs military language that was often used in the battle cries the armies of Israel were being sent out. The nation of Israel had learned all the way from Moses' time until now that unless the Lord went before them into battle, they would not be victorious. 
And now the nation faces devastation from within unless the Lord arises and defeats this rebellious attempt by Absalom. There is total confidence in God. It's as if he is saying, all I have to do is call out to you, Lord, and you will do it. This is a cry of total trust. It is not a cry of demand. It is a cry of complete faith that God alone will save him and the nation of Israel and bring victory over this wicked rebellion. And he says in confidence that you will strike my enemies. You will break the teeth of the wicked. Brothers and sisters, we have this same victory in Christ. Our continual enemy is that eternal accuser of the brethren, Satan and his demons that do his bidding. And what has Christ done for us? Well, he has crushed our enemy under his feet. The promise of salvation is prophesied in Genesis 3, 15. I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. And this is fulfilled in Christ Jesus through his cross and his resurrection. In the historical context of this psalm, David is speaking in verse 8 of deliverance for the nation of Israel from this assault by Absalom. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessing be on your people. David is the God-appointed king of Israel, and the Lord will defend him and restore him to his rightful leadership of the nation. And that will be a blessing from the Lord on the nation of Israel. But this verse also declares a spiritual truth that is thread all through the pages of Scripture. That salvation belongs to the Lord. What is this salvation that belongs to the Lord? Well, our troubles in this life may seem great to us, but far greater is the trouble of our sin against holy God. Our greatest trouble is not the troubles and suffering in this life, the proverbial storms of life that batter us. No, our greatest trouble is sin and the sure and righteous judgment of God on that sin. Christian, give praise today to the Lord Jesus Christ because He has delivered you from this judgment. Rejoice in this truth from John 5, 24. Jesus said, Truly, truly I say to you, Whoever hears my word and believes in him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death into life. Christian, in the midst of the troubles of this life, we must continually return to the wonderful truth of the gospel. As we sang earlier, Christ is the sure and steady anchor for our weary souls. And how are our hopeless souls restored? By looking to the cross of Christ. The finished work of Christ on the cross has purchased our salvation and we are forever secure in Him. And we must continually preach this gospel to ourselves. To my non-Christian friends here today, I say also to you, 
look to the cross of Christ. You may have come here today also burdened by the troubles of this life. But there is a greater trouble for your soul. And that is facing the wrath of God apart from God. John 3.36 says, Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life. But the wrath of God remains on him. You see, the greatest trouble anyone faces is the effect of sin. Sin separates us from holy God. And the penalty for our sin is eternal separation from God. But thanks be to God, because He has provided salvation. He sent Jesus Christ to live the perfect life that we cannot live. And then Jesus willingly laid down that perfect life for us. You see, what happened on the cross is that our sin was transferred to the sinless Christ. And the full wrath of God was poured out in judgment upon Him. So the wrath of God the Father over our sin was completely satisfied. It was spent in Jesus Christ upon the cross. It's the meaning that is contained in Jesus' cry from the cross when He said, It is finished. The debt for our sin was paid in full by the shed blood of Christ. And by his resurrection and victory over death, we too can have a life eternal. The salvation of the Lord belongs to those who by his grace alone recognize they are a sinner. Confess this to God. Repent of that sin. That means turn away from the life of sin and turn toward God. And place full faith in Christ alone to be reconciled to God. This is all the work of the Lord. As Jackson read for us earlier from Acts chapter 4, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. And that name is the Lord Jesus Christ. And his salvation truly is the highest blessing to his chosen people. And I urge you to look to Jesus today. Well, in conclusion, we know by the experience of life and by the truth of God's word that this life has many troubles, even for the Christian. It's just the consequence of living under the curse of sin in this world. But in the face of those troubles, we must fight for faith. We must remember the faithfulness of our Lord and lift our eyes to Him and away from our troubles. We must call out to Him in faith. He is trustworthy, He is our shield. He is our protector. He is the anchor for our weary souls. He is our peace. He is our strength. He is our salvation. 
And we can bring glory to God when we fully believe that Christ is sufficient for all that we need. John Piper describes the relationship between our trusting God and Him being glorified. Listen to this statement. God is glorified when He is trusted as true and reliable. He is more glorified when this trust is a treasuring trust. A being satisfied with all that God is for us in Jesus. God designed saving faith as a treasuring faith. Because a God who is treasured for who He is, is more glorified than a God who is only trusted for what He does or what He gives. May we have a treasuring faith in God for who He is. Well, remember that trust fall? Friends, in the midst of your trouble, will you close your physical eyes to the troubles of this life? And will you lift your spiritual eyes to the Lord Jesus Christ and fall back into the everlasting arms of the one who will hold you for eternity? Let's pray. Father, we exalt you that salvation belongs to you. We praise you as trustworthy, as faithful and true. And we praise you, Father, that no matter what we face in this life, no matter what trouble comes, that we can fall back upon you. We can rest in you and have peace and strength. So help us in our faith. Help us in the fight for faith so that we walk through any trouble in this life and bring glory and honor to you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.